0: Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today's episode is a throwback to a handful of years ago when Kurt was the host talking to Sarah Williams. Sarah has been on the show, geez, like three to about four or five times at this point uh and this show specifically is talking about her 100 day through hike of the appalachian trail that's pretty quick um not a record but like that's that's a very fast pace so a lot of y'all might be daydreaming about uh, warmer days out there if you're in the northern hemisphere uh, it's it's winter time it's been cold we've had some really cold weather you might be daydreaming about those summer hiking and backpacking experiences well this episode is going to help get you through it maybe give you a a new idea to do something a little quicker than you thought uh, if you only have a certain amount of time off so we're going to hear how Sarah did it uh, what she does she's also the host of the Tough Girl podcast as Kurt's going to mention and uh, she's had an amazing array of guests on that show a lot of the same folks we've had on this show but a lot that we haven't so uh, amazing stories there encourage you to check it out so Enjoy this throwback and uh, see you next year.
1: Hi, friends. Kurt here. Thank you so much again for tuning in to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today, we have returning guest Sarah Williams with us, and it's always fun to talk to Sarah. Sarah is the host and the founder of the Tough Girl Podcast podcast. Her website is toughgirlchallenges.com. She's been on the show a couple of times before, but a very adventurous lady who is really into the value of adventure sports, especially for women. Her site is so encouraging for the gals out there who want to uh, stretch themselves a bit and, and feel empowered and grow through adventure sports. And so I always like to support what Sarah is doing because It's the exact same thing that the Adventure Sports Podcast is doing for guys and gals. Sarah is doing specifically for women. And she is from the UK. She lives about 30 minutes outside of Liverpool. She started her career in finance. And after several years of that, decided she wanted a more adventurous lifestyle. And Sarah, I'm going to tell half your story here.
2: Go for it. You did a great job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She climbed Kilimanjaro. She also took a trip to South America and did extensive backpacking trips there. She traveled to the Sahara Desert and ran the Marathon de Saab. And as she went through these experiences, these adventurous experiences, she decided that she wanted to do more with that. She saw the benefits that it had in her own life, and she wanted to make that more available to ladies around the world. So, Sarah, welcome to the program.
2: Oh, thanks for having me back.
1: Oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I always enjoy visiting with you. So, Sarah, we wanted to have you back on because you just finished the Appalachian Trail. And we haven't talked to a first-time normal hiker, the Appalachian Trail person for a while. And I thought it might be really fun to get your perspective, especially since, you know, you're coming from the U.K. to the U.S. to do this. That's really the main subject today, is the Appalachian Trail. So, for starters, tell us, why did you decide to do the AT?
2: Oh, it was oh, such a great question. I think I I started to hear more about like the long distance hiking path when Cheryl Strayed first came out with her book Wild and the PCT. And I remember sort of Googling it and I came across this map of the US with, you know, the Triple Crown, the three big tra- trails. And I started to think, how do I not know about this? And you know how you sort of end up digging a little deeper? You go to Google, you go to YouTube, you start having a look at those different types of books. And I came across this girl called Dixie, and um, she had this great YouTube channel. I started watching her videos. And I just thought, that is an incredible thing to do. I just couldn't even comprehend it, you know, walking for 2,190-odd miles. And um, I just thought, is that something that I could do? And it was a seat that... Um, that just sort of grew and grew and grew. It's just something that I wanted to do. And before I knew it, I'd I'd arranged my visa, I'd booked my flight over to the U.S., and suddenly it all very much became reality.
1: Well, that's kind of fun. And I know exactly what you're talking about. You You learn about a new type of adventure, and then it just starts growing on you. It kind of gets in your psyche and won't let go, right?
2: Exactly. And the and the more you start looking into it, the more you start thinking, okay, so I could use those walking poles, I could get that backpack, and this is how I could do it. And how can I actually fit it in? And how can I take that much time off? And yeah, it is, it is quite fun how it does sort of grow and develop. And, and once you sort of admit it, not just to yourself, but when you tell other people about it, and start getting their reactions, that's when it can become very, very real. Mm,
1: sure. I wanted to kind of dig a little deeper about your motivations for this Appalachian Trail trip. But before I do, I want to ask this question. You you studied the Triple Crown, you know, the Continental Divide Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail. Why did you start with the AT? I
2: think it was just the perceived order that I – assume that everybody did it in so I think generally like the Appalachian Trail is seen as easier to do because if there's more roads there's more crossing you probably need less experience to do the Appalachian Trail than the PCT and I've heard that the Continental Trail um, divide in the centre is one of the hardest ones to do Um, and so the order for me I, I think has always been Appalachian Trail, the PCT and then the Continental Trail divide so it was just one which I felt would suit my suit my abilities suit my time frame, and um, yeah, that was that was why I picked the Appalachian Trail really ahead of the other mm. two.
1: I also think it's interesting the Appalachian Trail being in the eastern U.S. The, the topography is so different there. You know, we're talking about deciduous forests, we're talking about really steep but lower mountains, and we're talking about uh, just a whole different almost environment completely weather-wise and everything else than what you would experience if you went to one of the western trails. And the Continental Divide Trail is also very different from the Pacific Crest Trail, but I think they share a little bit more overlap, perhaps, um, with bigger mountains and larger vistas and that sort of thing. But what I've always wondered about is the Appalachian Trail weather systems over there. They're not the western U.S. weather. So you're in some pretty heavy humidity, sometimes some really, really hot temperatures, uh, likely to have more rain. And how did you find the weather on the AT?
2: Well, I suppose um, one of the things that I actually do, I love the heat. I am <laughs> a bit weird, but I like being in, like, really, really hot places, and I and I, I weirdly prefer, like, humidity and stuff like that. And so for me, I actually wanted to start my hike a lot later on so that I would actually have to face this or would be able to do the walk during the summer months. The things that I actually hate are being cold and wet. So when I was doing my planning, um, you know, I actually – mean one thing I should have possibly mentioned is that I actually ended up doing the Appalachian Trail in 100 days so I wasn't actually out there for the normal time period and most people take between you know five and a half six months to do it starting in um, the end of April May time I ended up starting on the 3rd of June which is sort of right smack bang in the middle of, of, of summer and I was hoping for this amazing glorious weather all the way through and I totally avoided all the snow it was only I'd say it was the last 10 days for me when I was starting to get into September when the weather started to change there was definitely a lot more rain there was a lot more mud it was getting starting to get a lot colder um, but otherwise throughout my trip I don't I mean it did rain a little bit but it what it was manageable it was only once every 10 days or so I'd say mm.
1: so you planned the the shorter quicker height in part so you could have the the warmer season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I just, for me, I just don't think I would get the enjoyment out of it if I was if I was really really cold, and also I didn't have like the equipment needed to to walk um in the in the cold weather. So I did have you know, a really ultra lightweight sleeping bag, and um, I did have a three season tent. But even just you know what I was wearing, it was very much for the summer months and being out in the heat.
1: Mm. Well, let's come back to the AT in just a moment, but I'd like to rewind to why you decided to do the AT again. So we know why you chose the Appalachian Trail now. But the bigger question is, why did you choose another pretty huge adventure at this stage in your life? I
2: suppose... I think when I started to to think about, you know, um, so running marathons, you train for four months and then four and a half hours, five hours later, it's all over. I trained for 18 months to do Marathon de Sables and it was over within a week. So I really, with the next challenge that I wanted to do, I was actually looking for a longer term challenge. I wanted it to be more of a lifestyle and, you know, to be able to get away for a long period of time and for it to be more of a journey than an event, if that makes sense. So I didn't just want, a one-off week experience. I wanted it to be this really long, drawn-out experience to see what I was made of, both mentally and physically, over that time period. So that was one of the, the big driving factors. And and also, to be honest, at this point, I think, we, especially with Tough Girl, Tough Girl being going for, you know, almost two years, I actually just wanted to get away from everything and everyone and just really get back to nature and just have just have some alone time. I feel as though. Um, recently I've been giving so much to the business and tough girl challenges that I haven't really had much time for me and it was just a, you know, an amazing opportunity and I thought actually this is something I want to do. It's something, it's why I built my business, how I built my business so that actually I could go off and go and do challenges like this because I want to be living my life and doing everything, um, you know, having that freedom of choice. And although I work very, very hard and I love what I'm doing, I still want to make sure that I do get that balance and that I'm not actually just working constantly, even though what I'm doing now, I absolutely love, but it is about getting that balance.
1: Sure. You know, I have to share, and we'll see if there's a parallel here. When I was in college, university, I worked for a sporting goods store that sold hiking boots and backpacks and camping gear and skis for for alpine skiing and you you name it. You get the picture. But I was on a very tight budget and I was very busy as a college student. So I couldn't actually buy any of the gear. And it used to make me crazy. I started getting a little bit frustrated to even go into the store because I was selling my dreams to other people and I wasn't doing it myself. So have you felt that at all with a tough girl podcast that we're working in the adventure sphere all the time, but where's my adventure?
2: Yes and no. I think it's, I think it's weird because I think people don't necessarily realize what goes on behind the scenes when you actually work in adventure and I think people think oh it's great you're just going off on this three-month holiday or you're going off training and doing x y and z but I think when you run your own business and it is online and you're doing the social media for adventures which is which is so much of a part of it these days I actually ended up vlogging my whole Appalachian trail. So, you know, filming every day, having somebody back at home edit and put the vlogs up on YouTube. It's a huge amount of behind the scenes work to actually even be able to share these adventures mm-hmm. with other people. And um, I think that was one of the reasons, actually, I did, I, I'm sure, I don't know if I've mentioned it about my, I started a daily podcast where I record every single day and just sort of update people on what I'm doing, partly to try and show people what is behind the scenes. I didn't, I didn't think I necessarily got frustrated with it, but I would definitely hear these stories when I, when I interviewed these women and I'd be like, oh my God, that's so amazing. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. And I think the only thing that ends up happening is my list of challenges and adventures and things I want to do just keeps on growing and growing and growing. But then it also comes back to like, well, actually, how do I fit it in? I mean, one of the reasons that I, I, I had to do it in 100 days is because I couldn't have taken five or six months off. You know, I couldn't have taken that longer break from doing Tough Girl Challenges because I would have lost all of the m- momentum that I built up. Right. So by, by reducing it down to that 100 days, which works out to be about three months and nine days, actually, I would still be able to get the best of both worlds yeah the best of both worlds and I very luckily got um I reached out to the Tough Girl tribe and my supporters and asked for support to help me while I was away because I knew that actually I wouldn't be able to do as much as I as I do now so I did have a team of people helping to support me and and run you know the social media side of things help out with the Facebook help out with the Facebook group but it is it's it's difficult because you think oh you just want to be on adventure all the time but actually that's not that's not reality Right. Or it's not my reality.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that kind of brings up something. I think every person on Earth has a story. And if you break our lives down, we actually have multiple stories. We, we have segments of life that are new beginnings, obstacles to overcome. You know, we grow, we, we face these hurdles. We, we shift and change a little bit and somehow accomplish an end to one of our major life goals or phases. And then we, maybe we start another one. But if you if you kind of whittle that down that storyline is true for every adventure. And what I mean is there's some reason that we start an adventure, some inspiration to uh, to do X, Y, or Z, right? And then there's some challenges to overcome. Like you were just mentioning, scheduling challenges with your business, with Tough Girl Podcast, right? And uh, then there's the actual adventure itself and the challenges that, that we have on that adventure and all the things we have to overcome. And then at some point that comes to an end. And then that becomes... A memory, a part of our life, a history that helps to shape who we are now. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, I do, I do. I have to say, I'm actually so glad that I I actually recorded it. Because it's it's only been maybe six weeks since I got back. And I already feel as though I've forgotten so mm. much of what actually happened. I mean, obviously, I remember it in not in its entirety, but, you know, I remember walking the Appalachian Trail, but I don't remember those specific days or those specific moments or, you know, the specific views. And actually going but being able to go back and look at the videos, it, it actually does trigger memories. And I'm sometimes I'm watching it and thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe that was me out there walking on those rocks and, and doing those challenges. So I think... Having that record is um, is amazing because I sometimes do think I actually can't believe I've done it. Which <laughs> sounds really weird.
1: Yeah, no. It, it, when you get back to the everyday, then you look at the fantastic that you've done before, and it starts to say, "What was that me?" Because I'm over here now. <laughs> but that's part of why adventures are so valuable, Sarah, is because they take us away from the everyday and they give us a new perspective, and then we take a piece of that back with us, and I think it changes who we are. So, anyway, will you? Uh, Work with me here a little bit on the story of your Appalachian Trail adventure. I'd like to look at it from that context. So we already talked about why you chose the Appalachian Trail and a little bit about why you felt like it was time to do it. Um, What were the hurdles you had to initially overcome to be able to actually get out there and and do it?
2: To be honest, this is actually, I obviously sorted out the time issue, but um, the, the biggest hurdle after that was actually money. And um, I know it's the two things that everybody that I speak to, it's the biggest problem that they talk about. I don't have the time and I don't have the money. Well, I didn't have the time and actually I didn't have, the money when I decided to do this I actually had no idea how I was going to be able to afford to do it um, but the great thing about doing the Appalachian Trail for me was that I could actually really break it down almost into segments so I knew that I had a number of like speaking gigs coming up and that one speaking gig would pay for my visa my next speaking gig would pay for my flight out to America my next speaking gig would pay for my return flight you know another job I did then pay for my insurance so it was done very very piecemeal and actually I had no idea how I was going to pay for it and it was actually through um through Patreon which massively helped me out because that's grown um that's grown a lot for me and I was getting around like $500 a month um through that website and that was going to be my budget basically and um yeah so that was that was I'd say would be the hardest thing of actually getting to the start line is actually trying to figure out how I was going to pay for it i mean one of the other reasons I you know doing it in 100 days is hopefully it should cost me less money than if I was out there for five or six months um, but that was almost my my biggest concern is you know trying to buy um, equipment um, get everything that I needed I wrote my list you know backpack and what shoes do I get and tent and clothing and um, I ended up picking things off one at a time when I you know scraped together the cash but even you know two weeks before I was going I still didn't even have a tent and that was getting to the point where, where it's like you know well actually i don't don't think I can afford to buy, um, you know, the lightest tent that is out there, so it becomes like a massive compromise between the, the weight of the tent and the cost of the tent and what I was going to be able to get. And then I had like friend reaching out saying, Look, I've actually got this, uh, this great tent, it's a Terra Nova, it weighs one pound one. Would you like to borrow it for the mm. Appalachian Trail? And th- And things just sort of do happen I mean I remember looking at my in in trying to get insurance when I was over in America and like the initial quotes coming in were like 600 pounds and I was just like that's insane but then after looking around and doing some more research I got it down to like 120 pounds It was like boom I had alerts set up on Skyscanner for flights back from Boston and I remember I got sent an email and it was like you know, holiday special offer return. You know, a flight from Boston to back to the UK for like 130 pounds or something. So little things like that happen, and so I could just sort of take my time and just do it very, very piecemeal. But I just also just didn't give up. I just I just sort of knew that it would happen, that I would get there eventually.
1: <laughs> wow, you know what I love about that, Sarah, is that I think a lot of us would say, "Man, I would love to go." Name the adventure, right? I'd love to go hike the Appalachian Trail. And then they look at the expense and they say, well, I don't have the money. And that's the end of it. But what you did is you said, no, I'm going to go hike the Appalachian Trail. And with that intention, you started looking for ways to make it happen for you. And then because you had that intention and you're walking down that path, it did happen for you. It all came together over time. But from the beginning, you probably didn't have a good feel for how it would all come together
2: exactly and that's actually quite nerve-wracking when you're just like actually I don't know how this is gonna gonna happen but I just know I'm gonna have to make it make it happen basically I mean even I wrote like quite a detailed blog post on you know what I spent before I even got out to the Appalachian Trail and I worked out like the majority of it was on sort of like the travel over there the accommodation you know the nights I was staying out at um, Springer Mountain like the the visa and the insurance etc but all in all because I was so sort of um, careful about where I was spending my money and you know saving everything that I had because I knew that that's what I would need in total before I even got there I'll put it into US dollars for you it was 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 2,165 dollars and the most expensive item I ended up buying was my backpack which was 140 pounds and my air mattress which was 115 pounds but in terms of the amount I spent on gear it wasn't as much as I know that other people spent on gear, partly because I didn't have the, the money to be sort of, you know, what, what do I get here? Do I, do I spend here? I was almost sort of just making do and just seeing what would work best for me with my with my budget, which was really tight.
1: I love your example, and I want everyone to make sure. I just want to highlight it one more time. Choose your adventure. Don't worry so much about how you're going to make it happen. Choose what it is that your passion is that you really want to do, and then that becomes a goal you work toward. And I think things do work out just like you described, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Can agree more.
1: Yeah. I mean, so many people say, well, I, I can't do that. I'm busy. I have a job. I don't have much time off. I, I don't I'm, My budget is tight. But when you make something a priority, then the door is open.
0: Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: So when you started the hike, how did you feel on day one down in Georgia? Um, what was it like to finally take the first step out onto the trail? Do
2: you know what was really interesting? I, was like, I compared it to when, to like Marathon to Stars, where I was really nervous. I was really anxious. I was very, very worried. For the start of the Appalachian Trail, I seemed to, have, I just felt really happy and just really confident and just as in this is where I should be this is something I've worked so hard to get here it's something I've wanted to do for so long it was almost like a little bit of disbelief as in like am I actually doing this but it did it just felt it just felt comfortable it just felt right I knew I'd done my training I knew I'd done my preparation I knew I'd done my planning and I knew that mentally and physically that i was actually i was really ready for it i was ready to get going i'd also been on i've been tapering as well for like the past three weeks And you know when you stop sort of training or exercising you you start getting all this like built-up energy and so when you finally get to the start line you're like right let's just sort of go for it and it was it was good to be to be out there walking and just actually starting and yeah it was it just felt really comfortable
1: mm. so you did at least so this is your average was 22 miles a day but and that's, that's pretty aggressive, but that's your average. And, uh, that means that you had some really long days in there mixed in with probably some shorter days. So how did that go for you? What kind of distances did you actually have to do most days?
2: I think when I, when I started, I knew that I needed to sort of build it up. So I was very conscious of only sort of starting doing like 15, 18, 18 miles a day. And one of the biggest challenges for me is, is mentally knowing that I was going to be behind um but they it really did average i think some of the one of my shortest days was like five miles i only took two zeros the other shortest day would have been 14 miles but generally it it was around the 20 mile mark even my nero days were like 20 miles but i also did have some bigger days you know towards the end i was having to my biggest day was like 33 miles Mm. and that was on the back of doing like another 30 mile day on the back of another 30 mile day um so it really did just massively depend on on the terrain and where I was. So at day 52, I'd reached 1,000 miles. So I got to, well, 1,023. But that meant for the final 50 days, I needed to walk 1,190 miles. And I knew that I had some really, really tough sections coming up. And that was quite hard going through the White Mountains, where I actually couldn't average more than... 20 miles is that it was, a you know, sometimes it was only 16 just because of the terrain. But then that sort of puts pressure on you for when you're in flatter stroke, easier sections. And, you know, you've really got to punch on through and, and do some big days just to make sure that I was staying on top of it all.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, I'm going to compare this to the Marathon to Saab just a little bit to make a point. I We've interviewed various people who have done the race now. And you being one of them, of course, I think you were our first, but what I found was one interviewee who said he was a faster runner than, than several. And so his day would be done in the Marathon de Saab so much earlier than other people. So during the heat of the day, he was under a shade somewhere, sipping water and recovering. And he said it was actually easier because I was faster. He says when the people would come in that had been out for 12 hours, they were so exhausted and beat up. You know, because they'd been out in the heat of the day and they'd had 12 hours Of fighting the sand where i may have only had five or six you know and i'm curious how you feel about that um when it comes to the appalachian trail were you one of these people who did this is a 12-hour slog to get this distance in or was it i'm gonna go as fast as i can and then rest
2: i no, i was just i was just slogging it out every day pretty much if it was daylight i'd still be walking most of the time and so i would try and get up and around 7 seven thirty. 30 whenever I woke up naturally with the with the sunlight but my plan was you know I always have like a set distance of what I wanted to achieve but if I got there at about 4 30 and I was thinking oh well I've still got like another three hours you know how much further can I go is there another shelter is there somewhere I can camp can I push it a little bit more then I would generally keep on going especially when I was feeling fresh and stronger um at the start because I thought actually this is where I've got to make use of my of my fitness and my endurance because as I'm going to get further on down the the trail although my endurance will build I know that I'm going to end up being weaker so it was just a case of just pushing on through and and actually a lot of the time it was generally 12 hour days walking um sometimes more sometimes like 14 I tried to avoid night hiking as much as possible um but yeah I was just pretty much walking all day every day and I wasn't taking breaks so I would very rarely sort of stop and sit down and I didn't have a stove, so I was stoveless. So I would basically be able to eat and walk. so I'd just be eating all the bars. Um, so, but I do, I do completely understand what the MDS guy was saying about how it is relatively easier if you can be a lot quicker on the trail because then you can start recovering. I mean, I'd notice it with with a couple of guys who say I walked with. We'd, we'd cover the same distance, but they do it so much quicker than me. So they'd be at the shelter maybe at half four, and I'd arrive three hours later. Um, and you know then. You do have the benefits of being able to relax a little bit more, enjoy your food and, um, and set up your camp and just unwind. Whereas by the time I got into camp, I knew that I, my last 40 breaths would be for me to blow up my air mattress, put my dry clothes on and, and get into bed as, as quickly as possible because I was just so exhausted at that point.
1: Wow, you really worked hard at this. I have to say to do the Appalachian Trail in 100 days is aggressive. That's very aggressive. Do you feel like you had the time to enjoy it as much as you would have liked to? I mean, did it turn into an athletic event or were you hiking I, through the wilderness?
2: I was definitely hiking through the wilderness. Uh, I definitely I did enjoy it and to be honest for me. I mean, I actually do like spending time by myself. And I did what well, I like having this this time to be able to think and um you know get back to nature and I like being able to follow my own schedule and and you know set my own uh you know set my own day up and you know, do what I want to do and it was it was aggressive I think one of the things looking back now on things that I missed out on is you know things like trail families getting to really I mean I did meet people I did bond with people and you know occasionally Deb we'd have a couple of days of overlap which was amazing um but actually, I think that's one thing that I probably missed out on is more of the social side of things, because generally a lot of them, um, I mean, because I was starting so late in comparison to everybody else, I was catching people up and then overtaking them. And um, a lot of people then weren't necessarily walking as quickly as I was. I, mean, I remember getting to one campsite and I was talking to some of the guys there. I said, oh, you know, where have you come come from? And I told them this campsite, which was maybe 26 miles back. And they were like, oh, my goodness, we were there like three days ago. And I'd done it in in a day um so i think that was the only aspect that i probably would if i did something similar in the future i'd probably change the time pressure but but for me because i did want a challenge that was going to challenge me i knew that i because i don't want this to to sound arrogant i knew that i would be able to do the appalachian trail in in five or six months i don't think that would have um that would have been a challenge for me. But actually having that time pressure, that's for me is when I got that uncomfortable feeling in my stomach. I got that fear fact, you know, can I do this? Am I going to be successful? And I wanted to experience those those fears so that I can try and understand more about how I overcame them to be able to share that with other people who you know, they're scared of going out for a 5k. It's like, well, what's that fee- what's that fear that they're feeling in their stomach? Mm. How can you get over it? What do, what do you learn from it? And so I need to be able to put myself in those situations where I'm still growing and developing as a person.
1: Right. So I, I need to rewind just a little bit. Part of the amount of time that you spent on the trail wasn't just the distance and the time and the walking. It's the backpack. It's having that weight on your shoulders and around your waist for that long of a period of time. And there's another example. I mean, the the people that were hiking six hours a day instead of 12 hours a day only had to hold the pack for six hours. So what was your pack like? Did you find that challenging in the beginning, especially?
2: I did initially at the start because um, I've even got this as to my feedback because I only managed to to buy my backpack about four weeks before I left, just because it was one of my larger, larger expenses. So I didn't have a huge amount of time to train with it. And I had, I had gone out on some long distance walks and I had walked with a weighted backpack before. And one of my um, I'd say my problem is I it was my left shoulder from all this weight because I didn't have the backpacks which fastened around the around the waist and on my hip bones. So for me, actually, it was a bit of a relief getting like a nice proper backpack which fitted me and was comfortable. But it did take some getting used to. And even after, I think it was after the first two days, I got to a place called Neil's Gap and and actually I knew my back was too heavy and I was struggling with it and I had to send I, I had like the GoPro the GoPro Kimball um so I could take this really smooth awesome footage I was thinking nope it's too heavy I had these um like extra warm clothing with me I thought Do you know what I just can't carry this extra extra weight so I did end up sending sending the weight home but I think the hardest part for me was in terms of with the backpack was my I was getting bruising on my shoulders, but like the skin sort of soon toughened up. It was towards the latter end of it when I'd lost, I'd lost almost almost about two stone in weight and my hip bones at the back were sticking out by possibly about like an inch and a half. And they were actually being rubbed red raw. Mm. And so I was needing to stuff things behind my backpack. Cause even though my backpack was, was on the tightest straps possible, it was starting to become baggy on me because I'd just lost so much weight. Um, but, but, yeah, it actually almost changed my style of walking. Once I finished, it was quite weird not to have the backpack on um, and also not to be able to walk with walking poles because I'd been – the walking poles, you know, for 12 hours, again, my, my hands and my grip completely went, and I sort of – I got, like, a something called, like, a trigger finger where my, my finger was, like, all bent and wouldn't straighten out properly. Oh, Sarah. So, it, yeah, it's, I think it's – everything It's I mean I I always say this as well I mean it was obviously it's tough and it's doing it in a hundred days but equally I mean I do look at some of the people who did it in five or six months I mean some of the added benefits was of of me doing it so quickly is I was whipping through some people talk about like Virginia and they talk about like the Virginia blues because it's just so long and some people don't really like that section and call it a little bit boring but because I was whipping through it so quickly um I didn't really have those experiences and equally some of the tougher sections I was getting through a lot faster because if they're doing it slower, therefore they're probably having to carry a lot more food than I am, because they're not going to be able to get the resupply. So there is there are pros and cons to to both ways of doing it. But it was a lot of um, yeah, I think just a lot of pressure on on the body.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's funny too because uh, you could have done it even faster. Not not that I'm suggesting that you should, but by doing it faster, it would have shortened the the challenge. And so what I mean by that, I mean, think about the people that hold the speed records.
2: Well, there's a guy on the trail who um, who I only found out like about two or three weeks before the end who did it in 45 days. And he did it. So he's got the fastest record now on the Appalachian Trail. And Joe he did McConny. it solo. Yeah, solo and unsupported. And I, as someone who I was doing it solo and unsupported, I have no idea how he did it in 45 days. I mean, it's that is just phenomenal I actually don't think I could have done it much I I couldn't have done it much faster like I was really towards the end it was for me it was like very much touch and go whether or not I was going to make it and I even thought a day 51 52 I don't know how I'm going to finish it in you know with my 50 odd days remaining but yeah he mean he's a total legend
1: yeah it's it's very interesting and you're the right person to talk to about this for for certain We've had some backpackers on who do some amazing distances for extended trips who are not running like you, not running. You're you're hiking the Appalachian Trail. And then we have the uh, ultra distance runners that come out and run the trails, people like Scott Jurek or Carl Meltzer. But then you've got Joe and he was running, but he was hiking and he was self-supported. So he had the weight on his back. Of course, I'm sure he was, he was practicing the ultralight approach, but... What's interesting about this, I guess, is this is where this is going. There's a point at which walking fast is as quick as running slowly. And I don't know which one is easier on the body. You've done both. So could you shed some light on that for us?
2: Oh, that's such a great question. Um, <laughs> I think it actually depends on the weight on your backpack. I I did try running with my pack occasionally. And... Um, for, it, I just couldn't get it right. So I know with like Marathon de Sars, because my pack was, you know, like 10, 10, 10 pounds, I think. Um, it was maybe it's, I'm not sure if that's the right metric, but it was like, you know, half the weight. So running with that was actually a lot easier. Um, but I think if the heavier the pack, I'd say it's faster walking, would just be easier on the knees and the, and, the, and the whole body doing it. Um, but actually, but some of the guys can really move and some of the girls can massively move even just, you know, walking quickly. You can have a really rapid pace. Um, I think it just comes down to personal preference.
1: Well, it's interesting. Some people claim that speed walking, right, is better for the joints, better for the body than jogging. But then the alter distance runners who have that smooth glide, taking shorter Mm -hmm. steps and really leaning into it and, and what have you, I think, well, that looks pretty smooth too. So I actually don't have an opinion on this at all. Mm. I was just curious what yours was, since you have done both.
2: I mean, I think the the terrain is also another interesting one as well. Just for for example, like marathon des sables, you're running through sand, and um, whereas in the Appalachian, like some of the rocks and stuff and the and the twigs in the ground, I'd actually, for almost from a safety perspective. I prefer the walking because I think I'd have more con- like fast walking. You can still have a lot of control. Whereas sometimes when you're running, Oh, I don't know if there's more, more risk running. Oh, it's a guess. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm, oh, I don't know. I don't, Maybe I don't have an opinion on it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think what your first answer was about the weight of the pack. That makes the most sense to me. You know, if you have a heavier pack, Oh, it's so hard to run. It is so hard to run. To me, that would just be the killer. So, wow. So, you know what? Still, you know, Joe McConaughey setting a new record. It was 45 days and 12 hours. That's pretty darn impressive. And something else, a a tidbit that I read about his attempt was that he actually got off route and uh, ran. Oh, what was it? He lost 1500 vertical feet and several miles one day and then had to make all of that up. And he still made it. So, Uh, kudos to joe that was an amazing amazing trip
2: what he made a mistake or he got lost on the trail yeah
1: he made a wrong turn
2: (gasps) oh that's gutting
1: (laughs) (laughs) but he still did it he still beat carl metzer's record by 10 hours so you know it, it was an amazing amazing feat and and someone next season will go back and potentially do it faster again but what's interesting about this is that the, the records for the last three years have all hovered around that 45, 46 day mark. And mm-hmm. uh, someone, I, I can't imagine doing this in a hundred days. I'll just be candid, Sarah. In a hundred days, I, I don't think my body would hold up. I don't think I could pull it off. So kudos to you. But someone out there is going to figure out a new system and they're going to they're gonna break the record. They're going to smash it by like a week. And I'm really curious how that they're going to pull that off.
2: It will be interesting to watch. I think it's, it's even more interesting when you, if you spent some time on the Appalachian Trail and you've gone through sections of it and you're just thinking, wow, I mean, then you can really see what it is for such an accomplishment and such an achievement to do it in, in those time frames.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you think about the mileage they're putting in, we're talking about 50 mile days and, uh, you know, day after day after day after day after day. I, I just, I mean, hats off to these. These people are the super athletes, you included, the super athletes <laughs> that that just blow the minds of the rest of us.
0: Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: Well, at 100 days, you had uh, really long days, covering a lot of miles. But you still maybe had a little bit more time to stop and smell the roses. And the reason I bring that up is some people go out there and they, they, they say, no, I am all about being in nature. I don't care if I do three miles or 30 miles. I just want to experience it. And other people are going out saying, no, I want to do the distance. I want to see how fast I can accomplish this. So, was there a conflict inside of you? Am I going too fast? Should I slow down? Should I stop here and enjoy this, or do I have to keep moving? How did you feel about that?
2: No, I I think because I was very very clear with my goal, and so even when I came to like, incredible towns and met great people, I, mean, I, I met some like awesome people. They're like, why don't you just stay for another night and just hang out and you know chill with us? We're gonna you know head down to the river and just you know sunbathe and all this. And I deep down I was thinking. would be so amazing but I always had at the forefront of my mind what my goal was and I I was thinking about it every day that I will reach Mount Katahdin on the 10th of September I visualized myself being being at that sign being at the end of the northern terminus walking that distance and I knew that I had to keep going so there wasn't really any conflict for me about that because I think I was so clear on my purpose and my reason why that I knew that I just had to keep on moving in order to achieve my goal and my dream is to do it in a hundred days.
1: Yeah. I just had another thought, which is a little off subject, but not really. You did several days that were longer than a marathon to pull this off, but you were backpacking a marathon or longer instead of running a marathon and having done both. Which do you think is harder?
2: Uh, Oh, that's such a good question. I'd still say, I'd, I'd still say the running So while I was actually out on the Appalachian Trail, I'd actually think back to some of my previous challenges. And I think back to Marathon des Sards and a long day, the long stage, which was running 52 miles in a day. And no day on the Appalachian Trail compared to how hard that, that day was. And so no matter whether I'd walk 26 miles, 28 miles, I'd always be thinking, come on, Sarah, you've only got another four or five miles to go. It's not like you've got another 20 miles to go in the day. So, um, yeah, I definitely think the running for me was harder than just the walking because with the walking it was just more about just keeping on going and you didn't really you, you didn't really get tired if that makes sense. You could just keep on just putting one foot in front of the other whereas I think with running sometimes um, you can get tired and burnt out and just need to stop and walk so you can't necessarily continue running all the time whereas walking you can definitely be a lot more consistent.
1: Yeah, I can see that. So, Sarah, let's jump into the storyline a little bit again. Um, In a story, they're always the hardest days, the obstacles that have to be overcome. You know, it's the day that things didn't go right. Uh, Was there a time on the trail where you began to question if you should be doing it? Did you ever think maybe I should quit today or maybe you didn't think you needed to quit? Maybe it was just more a matter of, wow, I can't believe this. I don't know how I'm going to get through it.
2: I think I definitely had those days. I never wanted to quit. I think I don't think that ever comes into my psyche. I did have moments where I thought, I'm not going to complete this in the 100 days. And I think this is maybe like day 51 or 52. I, I sat down and wrote this Facebook post basically saying, you know, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm doing my best. I'm pushing myself as hard as I physically can every single day. But I just don't physically know how I'm going to be able to complete the challenge in, in the 100-day time period I'm just so sorry to have let you all down. I'll, I'll obviously I'll continue to do my best. And I did hit the publish button, but because the Wi-Fi was so bad, it didn't actually get published. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, actually, one of the hardest, one of the hardest situations for me, and I think that I made it even harder, was when I hit the hundred mile wilderness, which was um, you know the last sort of four or five days of the trail. And I think in my head. I'd heard so much about the 100 mile wilderness that it was fast and flat and it was going to be so easy and you're going to be able to bash out these miles that I thought when I reached it that my final four or five days on the trail were just going to be really easy and I probably set myself up for a little bit of failure because I remember entering the 100 mile wilderness and within the first couple of miles I was thinking, hold hold on, this is not flat, I'm climbing again, there's roots, there's mud, (laughs) there's rain and i And it it seemed to be getting worse and worse. And I started on one day, started at seven, and I finished at seven. I did 28 miles. Mm. The following day, I started at seven. I finished at seven, and I only did 24 miles. The following day, I started at seven again, finished at seven. I only did 21 miles. And so I could see that I was thinking, I'm putting in the same amount of effort every single day but I'm just not getting the distances. I'm not just getting the miles in. And I think mentally that was really starting to drain on me because I'm thinking, you know, how am I going to gonna make it if I can't increase my mileage? It's getting less and less and less. And weather-wise, I mean, I think everybody, you know, worst thing to me is being cold and wet. And um, when your hands start disintegrating, your feet start disintegrating, you're having to put on, put on wet clothes and everything is wet. Um, that for me... Was when it was just miserable, and this is a wonderful video which has come out. And I was filming myself, and I was wearing this blue poncho. My poncho was basically shredded. It was one of these frog togs, and it, you know, it's been through all the trees and it's been ripped, and it had more duct tape on than anything else. And I was just sat on a boulder. It was raining. I was wet. The boulder was wet. Uh, you know I had this poncho sort of half tucked behind my ear on my head and I was just filming myself eating the Snickers and I and I was basically just saying to the camera I'm just so miserable I'm cold I'm wet there's just yeah, you know, there's mud everywhere I'm not making any progress and there was just nothing you could do about it uh, <laughs> um, so that for me they were definitely low points and I talked about you know getting myself physically prepared and mentally. I'd done these exercises, you know, the, the planning for these what if situations and using the techniques of visualization and mantras and all these different tips and te- techniques that you learn when you when you go on these big challenges. But for me, it was something. It was the emotions which I couldn't control because I'd just start crying for like for no reason. I'd just be getting emotional and um, and just needing to cry, and especially on the last day, I'd be walking along. And um, I'd done a thirty-mile day, a thirty-three-mile day, and I had to do that. It was the final fifteen miles, so it was ten miles to get to um, like the final campsite, and then the five-mile trek up Mount Katahdin, which is more like scrambling and bouldering than anything else. And as I was walking along, I'd be sobbing because I was so emotional just thinking it's just 10 miles just 10 miles just nine miles and I'd walk past people and they'd see me and they'd be like are you okay and I'd just be like oh yes I'm fine I'm fine and they'd be like oh are you summiting today and I'd be like yes but obviously no one they knew that I was emotional because I was summiting but I don't think no one really knows what you go through to get there and especially to do it in a hundred days and to actually think oh my goodness I'm actually going to summit it fingers crossed you know the weather maintains itself and um yeah you do you definitely have high points and you definitely have low points very low points
1: so what gave you the the courage the tenacity to carry on when you were at those low points
2: i think it was because i didn't really have a choice um I'd I'd arranged with a friend to come a member of the tough girl tribe called Jojo to come and collect me at the end and it was basically yeah I'll see I'll see you on the 10th she was going to drive me to Boston I had my mum and my sister coming out to Boston to meet me I had my flight booked out of Boston and I think it would have been more hassle to try and rearrange everything else to be one or two days later and I suppose I just never wanted to quit i just always wanted to keep on pushing myself and i you know the only the only reason why i would stop would be because if it was something like injury or if it was something outside of my control i mean one of my one of my concerns was what if i get down to mount katahdin and it's massively bad weather and i can't summit Mm, on the tenth? right yeah because that's so outside of my my control, and the only thing that I actually could control was generally my attitude and my, you know, I tried to feel, control my feelings, but you know my attitude about the situation and whether I was feeling positive, whether I whether I was feeling negative, and it just never it never crossed my mind to do anything else apart from just to do my best and just stick at it and just persevere and just keep on moving forward every single day.
1: Wow. Well, congratulations. That's an amazing feat. I have to ask, was it harder than you thought it might be? Or was it about like you thought it might be?
2: It was harder than I thought it was going to be. I I remember back I had, um, I had some leaving drinks in London and I, I remember I was saying, saying goodbye to like my sister and stuff and the Appalachian trail. Uh, runs pretty close to New York, and you can actually hop on a train into New York for the day. And I remember saying to my sister, thinking, Gee, "Wouldn't it be really fun if I got to this train station? I think it's called like Appalachian North. And I could just pop into New York from you know, go and experience it for the day, then come back out to the trail. And I honestly thought that it would be a lot easier than it than it was, and that I would have just, I think I just thought I'd have more time to. I, I didn't expect to be walking for 12, 14 hours every single day. I definitely thought it would be more like eight hours a day.
1: Mm. So it was a, you bit off more than you expected, but you still persevered. That's amazing. You know, and, and you set such an example for us. You know, you you decided to take on a huge challenge, you didn't have the, the financial um, answers. Right to how you're going to figure that out. You had to rearrange your business around the time that it would require. Then you had to acquire the gear and, uh, and do all of the planning. But then when you actually executed this, it was more challenging than you thought, but you persevered and you, you pulled it off and you finished in the hundred days that you set out to do it in. And that's amazing.
2: I think I was also just a possibly maybe just a little bit naive, because you know when you look back and you think, God, two thousand one hundred and ninety miles in a hundred days—like, what was I thinking?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to ask then: Was it what you hoped it would be? Meaning, did you have the life experience that you were hoping for?
2: No, I did. I mean, it was—it was so incredibly tough, but it really did—you know—push me physically, push me mentally, and push me emotionally, and. I, it's an amazing thing to have actually gone through and done. And especially when you look on a map as well, and you just look at it and think, wow, how I got myself. I got myself from Georgia, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, all the way up to spring Mountain. I mean, up to Mount Katalin in Maine. And you just think, God, I did that on my own two feet. You know, every single step that I took, and it was just yeah, it was it was what I thought it was going to be like. When I
1: was a kid and I first heard of the Appalachian Trail and people that actually walk that distance, I just thought, "Wow, is that even possible?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. But you know, then I'm reminded of the of the pioneers back in the frontier days who would go from the East Coast to Oregon. And they might have a a wagon with an ox that was pulling it, but they were walking beside it and they walked the breadth of the United States. And that not just a few, but many, many thousands and thousands and thousands of people that did it. So humans can do it, but I don't know if they can do it in a hundred days as a rule.
2: I have so I did sometimes when I got to these really tough situations I'd be thinking all these tough bits of the trail I'd be thinking I don't know how I can get up this like how do how is this even possible with these splodges of white paint and the blazes and then I just think Sarah actually thousands of people have done this before you um I mean I think what there was a really there was a guy when I was on the trail as well um called Greybeard he was I want to say it was he 75 or 85 um, and he was the oldest person to be, you know, to complete the Appalachian Trail um, in 2017. It, sorry, in total, he walked it in 2017. And I just thought, well, if he can do it and get over this, I've, you know, I'm 30 years younger. I should, I should be able to, you know, to figure this out.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's wonderful. Well, how did it feel when you finally got to the top of the mountain at the end and you said, I did it, I'm done?
2: To be honest, it was more just a feeling of relief and peace and I felt I want to say weightless just I don't know there was just no more pressure anymore I'd done what I'd set out to do I completed it the strange thing was that nobody knew that I'd done it because I couldn't get like a signal I couldn't share with anybody and so it was a really odd time like walking back down the mountain having a sort of five mile walk and just thinking wow I've done it I finished it and um yeah it was just there was a lot of relief actually it wasn't cele- celebratory if that makes any sense it was just uh, yeah I've, I've completed it i'm i'm happy in myself that i've done mm, it
1: that's neat that's neat well where do you stand now you've had a few weeks now to forget the pain do, do we see a triple crown in your future
2: oh i, I don't I, I don't know like um i I think I actually, somebody else told me this is like, you either end up doing one trail or three trails because you can't just end up doing two of them. If you, do, if you end up doing <laughs> right. two, but you've, you've got to do the third one. It just makes more sense. I actually, I sort of don't, I honestly don't know. Like, I think I, I would love to do another long, a, another like long trail again, but without the time pressure. Um, I think it's very easy to get into that way of life and, and living. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Cause I, I do, like mixing things up and it would be nice to maybe do something do something different I don't know maybe get on a bike or I don't get on a boat and go rowing um yeah I just have to have to wait and see but I'm sure yeah I think one thing that inspired me was just you know the the breadth and depth of the amount of people who are out there, all these different ages, women and men, um, all ages. And I thought, well, actually, I met one lady who was in her 70s doing it. So there's always there's always time to do these challenges like later on. So who knows? Who knows?
1: Well, I'm sure that another amazing adventure is going to grab hold of your psyche again, and you'll start losing sleep over it until you do it. <laughs> and that's kind of the way it works. But how the last question, Sarah, how did it change you?
2: I, I I sort of don't know if it did. And what I mean by that is I think I'd done a lot of self reflection and spent a lot of time figuring out who I am as a person, you know, what are my values, what are my beliefs, what is like who am I, Sarah, what am I comfortable with? And just feeling very comfortable and confident within my own within my own skin and what I do. So I think the only I don't necessarily think That it changed me because I don't know how can I say this is it I wasn't doing this for for ego if that makes sense it was just doing it purely for me and wanting it what I'm you know happy to share with everybody else as well so I don't know if it just gave me more more inner confidence like I've, I've always been confident but I don't know just more belief more confidence and more that actually this is how you want to be living your life you're making the right choices you're in the right place you're doing what you should be doing and just yeah continue to to make these choices and to follow follow your dreams because it just feels so right to be doing it
0: Mm,
1: yeah i love that well congratulations again it's quite the feat and uh i'm i'm very impressed but i also love it that the host of the tough girl challenges podcast is out there being the tough girl facing the challenges. You know, you practice what you preach, and I think that that matters. So if people would like to hook up with you, get more information about the things that you do, and also follow all the wonderful guests that you have on your show, how should they find you?
2: Best place to go is toughgirlchallenges.com. There are links to my vlog, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those great, um, and the links to the podcast as well. So toughgirlchallenges.com.
1: That's wonderful. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your story of the Appalachian Trail with us today. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me back on. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Oh, you bet. And for all of our listeners out there, Sarah's a great example. She found an adventure that she wanted to do and figured out a way to make it happen. She pulled it off and uh, has now enjoyed all the benefits of creating that life experience and building those memories. And I would encourage you... Do the same, find your adventure, get out there, and have some fun.
0: First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to the show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Link is in the show notes.